All right. Welcome back. Another live show of The Big Ticket Life. Pleasure to have Dom Slice Tyke with us this week. Not every week that I get to have a real-life active-duty fighter pilot on my show. So welcome to the show, Dom. Appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, I know on any given day, you have much more exciting things to do, like fly a fighter pilot jet. But thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me back. And just for your listeners, um, I just remember the very first podcast I ever did was actually on your show. So thanks for giving me a chance. I don't uh, particularly like that episode because it was so clunky on my part. But uh, you gave me well, that no, first step. I appreciate you. Yeah, we all we all have to learn how to pedal the bike, right? And yeah. uh, we get some bumps and scrapes. And so that show was my. Uh, retail store show at Gardner's Mattress and More, our Lancaster Connects community podcast show, which, you know, if you're into podcasting, check that out. It's a different tweak on podcasting because it's super, like we go through all the, all the modalities that a podcast might go through to reach an international audience. And like, we're taking it five mile famous in our own backyard. So if you're into podcasting, if, if you have a local business, check that out, LancasterConnects.com. Uh, all the channels at Lancaster Connects. Um, Dom, we had, yeah, you know, you say that, that it was clunky and I don't, I don't recall that at all. I mean, we're, we're in, we did our hundredth and eleventh episode yesterday with Chris from Cast Ahead at okay. the helm. And so, but we had a bunch before that too. So I, you know, I kind of remember some of the clunkers and you're not one of them. So, you don't have to well, be so that's hard. Good to know. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely felt um, I wasn't nervous or anything. I just felt kind of weird because I had never done it before. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that kind of segues right into uh, our time today. You know, it, do you think one of the core elements of excellence in self and in leadership is the ability to look inward, reflect on? Uh, be hard on yourself, push yourself to a new level. Do you think that's a quality skill to have? Yeah, and I think really the 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 one word that comes to mind um, with any successful people is action. And really, the only way that you're going to find really find out what you suck at and what you need to be better at, or maybe something that you know you don't need to be doing anymore, is action. You take action. That's how you that's how you learn. And that's what I was doing. Just like I had, I had a outline of what I wanted about and kind of, you know, I wanted to take um, However, said I, I was, I was definitely learning a lot, but I wouldn't have, wouldn't have known if that's something I wanted to do if I hadn't taken the action or that first step. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we do need to do those things. You take those first steps. So. You know, you're a, uh, I said, as I brought you onto the show, you're presently an active duty reservist working full-time for the United States Air Force, flying F-16 fighter jets, which is just very cool, right? Like, I think it's cool to drive a 96 F-250 diesel old body style pickup truck, but <laughs> Dom's out here flying fighter jets at 35, 45,000 feet in the air. Um, so getting that start, I'm curious, and, and I'm hoping others are. Walk me, walk us through, you know, so you don't just jump in an F-16. What's yeah. the genesis? Like, what's, 
what's the the graduated scale of getting the keys to an F-16 fighter jet and flying it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a different path. Uh, there, there's some generic paths that you can kind of take, but um, getting there is is you know everybody kind of has their own way. My my story is probably a little bit more unique than most in the sense that um, I didn't go to the Air Force Academy, and the Air Force Academy has the lion's share of pilot slots for the Air Force. Um, outside of the Air Force Academy, the next largest chunk of pilot slots go to um, ROTC cadets, and then um, officer training school or OTS. A lot of people know it as OCS if you're a Marine or in the Navy. Um, those, those academies or those, it's not really even an academy. It's just that boot camp and that training, um, takes people like myself off the street and puts us through boot camp, um, for people that already have their undergrad degree. Uh, and that's the route that I took is that I, I went through school to be a pilot. I already had my commercial license. Um, I was in the process of getting hired by an airline and I also decided to apply to the Air Force at the same time. And I got picked up for both at the same time. So I, I decided to go through uh, officer training school um, because I figured that wouldn't be an opportunity that I would really get back if I turned it down. Um, and then from there is a whole nother level of uh, different hurdles that you have to jump over to find yourself in a uh, single seat fighter jet. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, you touched on ROTC. Yeah. What does that stand for again? I think it's Reserve Officer Training Corps. So if you are yeah. if you're at college, you can um join ROTC and then um don't quote me on any of this because I didn't go through ROTC, but I'm I'm pretty sure there's merit-based things that you do there. You'll go to boot camp in year three or four, I think, or maybe even after you're done. But essentially when you graduate with your um four-year degree from whatever institution you're in. You will have already completed, or you will be going to to boot camp to become a uh, an officer in the military. I think they do all of that before you graduate, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah. I just it, you know it it kind of perked my ears up because I know at our high school, our JROTC Junior ROTC uh, program is growing tremendously, and I okay. think that's cool to see. Um, yeah, I yeah. know we've put a renewed focus on it with leadership, which is great. And I know what I see Friday nights in the end zone, they, you know, they do push-ups and they do burpees. Um, yeah. You know, every time we get a touchdown and, uh, I know from a couple of years back to now, I mean, our, our, that class size has grown significantly. So I just think that's kind of neat. That's another yeah, way into. Yeah. Uh, into your career path, um, just one of yep. many ways, right? So very cool. Um, so this book you've got coming out, Single Seat Wisdom, uh, you're launching volume three on Veterans Day in November, November 11th. And uh, before we get too deep into that, um, let's talk about what the single seat theme is all about, because I know that's very important to you. I know it kind of frames a lot of the teachings and leadership um, uh, courses and trainings and, and ways to connect with you. Uh, tell us what single seat, uh, mindset and wisdom and the theme is really all about. Yeah. So single, single seat fighter pilots are, are trained, um, 
obviously, I think the biggest thing that most people don't realize is that fighter pilots, um, just like um, professional baseball players or any any profession, business owner, entrepreneur, doctor, lawyer, fighter pilot, athlete, there you don't get there right away, right? That it's a trained behavior. You have to train your brain and your body um, to do things that they normally wouldn't do. So I'm just, I don't know if I've really ever met any, um, you know, there are some students that, that are a little bit more gifted in aviation than others, but that doesn't mean that the ones that aren't can't learn it and teach themselves that. So um, during COVID, um, I had at that time, and in fact, the the first time I was on your podcast, it was um, a real estate business that I was running as well as a, a book that I had published um, to help my investors. Um, so that's kind of the business um, stuff that I had learned before single seat mindset, building websites, running a business, being an entrepreneur. So I had learned a lot of that stuff. But during COVID, the students were having um, a tough time um, in in the course, you know, because we I'm at the schoolhouse and we teach um, we teach the young lieutenants how to fly fighter jets and employ them as a wingman uh, here in Phoenix, and then we send them out the door. And you know, during that time, I had kind of learned that you know if you're if you're a goal oriented person, you can get really frustrated if there's you know rigid processes and long winded programs and unnecessary protocols, and you don't really have a deliverable outcome. And that class was was struggling. And a lot of, you know, peak performers, they don't want to read a book the size of the Bible. They need something short, punchy, anecdotal, and quick that can help them to the next step. Um, so what I started doing, where it all started was it was kind of a hobby and it was more, um, you know, as as I had learned over the years, fighter pilots, they they make decisions at 800 plus miles an hour. Those decision-making skills can can be very useful in other high professions, but specifically, I was targeting the students going through our program. And as I started writing a little two-minute message to the students once a week, and I just started saving those notes, and then I used it on the next class, and I tweaked it a little bit. And by the fifth or sixth basic course class that was going through, I got really tired of sending out emails uh, every week. And so I built a website called singleseatmindset.com and I just automated it. And that program, um, it took a bunch of different names at the beginning, but it's called The Competent Wingman now. And the reason I um, automated it was one, to keep it easy on me. But then I started getting messages from people all over the US. Uh, and then as I started podcast guesting a little bit more, people all over the world started signing up for it. And it, they're just short little messages that fighter pilots can use and then I found out that other people were using those. So, I mean, one of one of the right. unique stories was there was a a guy who was interested in aviation. I think he had maybe um, done a few private pilot lessons, um, or at least kind of caught the bug. But he was a he was working on an air conditioning floor as like the floor manager, uh, and you know, so he was just going through that that program. And it's just um, a short little message, you know. Hey, this is and a lot of them if they were written by me were hey this is how i messed up and you know this is how we can this is how we can avoid that or this is the step to kind of overcome that and the the powerful be th be thing behind that is that as that grew um i had already self published a book for my business and i started talking to instructor pilots and saying hey you know do you want to do you want to try to publish a very short story 
Um, if we can get 20 of us together, we can put 20 short stories into a book. And that kind of grew the single seat wisdom series books. And it, like I said, it was all a hobby when I started. Um, but we, right. we turned it into a business because that's what I knew what to do. And then the more powerful thing is that we give 100% of the proceeds to a children's cancer nonprofit. Wow. I knew you were connected to, and that's the Anna Schindler Foundation, correct? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I knew, I knew you were connected to that. And I know it's right on your site. And I know I scrolled by that this, just this morning as I was doing my final prep for, well, to be analogous, my final prep for launch and takeoff of our episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I scrolled right by that, I guess, that 100% of the proceeds go to the foundation. So why is that? Yeah. So, well, there's a couple reasons. Um, I think for me to, to make sure that my why was correct, especially in a project like this, um, having, um, multiple streams of income, um, elsewhere and having run businesses, I think at this point I had been given so much in my life that may, maybe there was a little bit of guilt, but I, I really wanted to give back. Um, so that was one of the big things, but the Anna Schindler Foundation is especially uh, important and special to me and my family because Anna Schindler, um, she died of liver cancer right after she turned seven. So her folks lived in the hospital, you know, 12 hours on, 12 hours off going through this hell that parents do if their kids, you know, end up going through cancer treatments. And then they started, um, after Anna had passed, they started the Anna Schindler Foundation where they build essentially Ronald McDonald style homes that families, right. specifically larger families, can live in while their kids are going through these treatments. And that way, they're not living in the hospital. They can kind of escape uh, and have their space. Um, and it's, it's really powerful. It's kind of crazy how, how much they've done in the past 11 or 12 years. Yeah, good for them. I mean, I, I have uh, experience visiting a Ronald McDonald house. My aunt, who was born... Uh, this is on my mother's side of our family. Uh, so she was born much later in life. And so my aunt was only six years older than me, I think. Maybe eight. And so we were more like cousins in, in that regard and relationship than anything. And she unfortunately passed at age 17 from uh, lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, I think it was. And... uh so I remember visiting her many times in London, Ontario, and Toronto, and we stayed at Ronald McDonald houses. So I know I know the reprieve that that gives. So that's that's tremendous. Yeah, because yeah, staying in the hospital, there's 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 bells and there's beeps and there's footsteps down the hall, and you don't know is that are they coming in for for my child? Is this is like what's going on? It's just a constant pressure cooker. Um, yeah. And you do need that break. So good for them. Good for them for doing that. Yeah. I always like seeing people step in to fill, fill those voids. Um, especially in such a position of strength, uh, after your own child's past, like you could yeah. just choose to be, you know, be, be within yourself, which would be a 100% acceptable way to approach life right after losing a child. But instead you yeah. use that strength to power. And help others. That's cool. And that's great that you're helping them in that way. Um, so let's dig into the book a little more. So we talked about volume one was you said, can I get 20 other fighter pilots to come together? Uh, what have you done with it since? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, speaking of the Anna Schindler Foundation, the, the, the marketing message from a business standpoint is um, it was kind of framed around the idea of um, raising money for the Anna Schindler Foundation, but then also giving all of the proceeds to them, but then getting fighter pilot stories uh, on paper that are easy, short, um, and they, they provide a little tidbit at the end that we call the single seat wisdom um, for, for any reader. So you could, you could sit down and in 10 minutes, you can read a chapter. And um, you can, you know, you could put the book down for a year and come back and you're not going to really need to remember what you read because a different chapter is going to be something completely different. Um, So, you know, you've got, you've got um, fighter pilots that have, that have owned or currently owned businesses in the book. You have um, fighter pilots that have lost family members or gone through a hardship. Um, You know, there's, there's female fighter pilots in there that have their own um, stories as well. and then, so I was asking essentially fighter pilots that are already busy um, to write a story, which is is not very characteristic of a fighter pilot to sit down and try to write a book or write a story. And then I was also asking them to contribute to the Anna Schindler Foundation. So um, it was a it was a tough marketing message. I'd say the first book was definitely the the most challenging. Just um, yeah. you know, it was the first time I built a website. The first time I built a you know a form that captures people's information, and then um, you know even figuring out how to set it up to where people can pay online and just make it easy, and then also to be able to update it easily without having to send out um, a million emails. So that was that was definitely a challenge. I was um, definitely uncomfortable um, all over again um, asking people for money, um, which I had done before. However, it was a different it was a different spin that time, and then you're asking right. people. Specifically, fighter pilots, and some of them can be guarded and very, um, you know, skeptical um, to kind of be vulnerable and and put their story on paper uh, for the world to read. And so th- there were some definite hurdles that we hit. Um, and there was probably five or six times where I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was going to happen, um, whether it was the website breaking or not getting approval from the military um, side of the house. Um, but yeah, we you know fast forward we got. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so you had to, um, so you had to get approval from your military higher ups yep. to publish. That's interesting. Yep. So, what the, did you, I mean, the big thing is that what they, what you want to avoid in the military is essentially, and basically every like disclaimer, everything that I'm saying right now, these are my own personal opinions. They don't represent, you know, the Department of the Defense, or United States military. So, as you're publishing something, it is. These are stories that are to help people grow bigger and to be the, the best version of themselves for whatever reason, their bigger why. Um, but obviously, we're using our military affiliation. So it has to be approved through the correct channels. And then um, I found out later, and this was actually after we had already decided to give all of the proceeds away, um, you're not allowed to use your military affiliation while you're actively serving to make money off of that. So we had already kind of defined our why we had already um, decided to give all of the the proceeds away. So that kind of helped accelerate the program. Um, but it was still challenging. I mean, I was, I was learning a lot about how to manage, manage that whole process. And, you know, if you've ever written a book, I know you have, but if those mm-hmm. that, that want to, I mean, all the little decisions that go into it, how, like, how, how do you want the text on the spine to look? Where, where do you want the picture? What do you want on the front cover? I mean, there's just, yeah, there's so yeah. many little details. 
Um, and, and it's, then it's tough. On, yeah, and on top of all of that, you have, you know, you do have to appease and, well, appease is probably not the right word because the military has every right to be concerned and be, be yep. understanding of what's going into this book, right? I mean, obvious, I think yep. the obvious, uh, most everybody understands is obviously you're not writing a book where secrets are being revealed. You're not no. taking photos of cockpits and behind the scenes at air bases. None of that kind of stuff at all. Uh, it is very much a first person perspective of, Hey, here's been my journey of excellence in this career. Here are obstacles I've had. And here are, here are lessons for you. And I would imagine most all those lessons were, were, were analogous at best to the fighter pilot. So it was more of a personal interpretation of their journey. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely lessons you learn as a fighter pilot. There's a certain. Um, trained mindset as you as you become an, you know a wingman, a flight lead, an instructor pilot. Um, there's there's actually um, chapters written by. Um, we don't have a Top Gun school. We have what's called weapons instructor course. It's the same thing. Top Gun is just well known because the Navy and the Marines use that. But we have Top Gun as well as a weapons instructor course pilots that have written chapters and provided their perspective, whether that's on debrief. Or how to plan, execute debrief. So there's there's right. snippets in there on what you can even use as a business owner. And I've I'll I'll be honest with you, as a fighter pilot, I've used a lot of my training as a fighter pilot to um, execute the daily operations within a business or even a long term plan. Um, and then I think the bigger thing that I've learned over the years as a fighter pilot that um, I wasn't very solid on as a civilian, but what I've learned is the debrief, specifically just. Um, either soliciting feedback after you're done with a project or, you know, the, the how, the nuts and bolts of how to debrief yourself or to look at what you've already done so that you can, you know, get up the next day and execute at a higher level or, you know, maybe tweak your business a little bit to, to fine tune what you're doing. Yeah. I'll, let's dig into the debrief in, in a minute here because I think that's something that can be very valuable to anybody listening and watching. Um, so you started with your first 20 in volume one. Uh, you had volume two of the book. Uh, volume three is releasing. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. What's, what's been the most, um, surprising story, the, the story you've been most proud of? And, and in conjunction to that, obviously you're on volume three. So I'm sure your bosses have continued to approve this project, right? Um, because if, they didn't, I don't think we would be at volume three. Has there been any praise from them about what 50 fighter pilots are putting out there into the world through the excellence of the military training? You know, so it's, it's not actually the, um, bosses. So if you're, if you're in the military and you're looking to publish a book, I think it's important, but there's a, there's an office for pre-publication review. Um, so you just submit your, you submit your stuff online to this office and then it's reviewed. And then they give you a, whatever, a tracking number and they stamp it approved, meaning you can actually right. publish that. Obviously with the disclaimers on it. Um, you know, sure. it's, it's mixed, Jeff. I think um, nobody has ever gotten 50 fighter pilots to put their stories on, on paper. And, and I think that it just really depends on the individual. You know, I've gotten... Um, just like anything, like if you're, if you're standing in front of a crowd of, you know, however many thousands of people... 
and everybody's like giving you the thumbs up and high fiving and saying, dude, that's awesome. There's there's the guy in the back that's heckling you or booing you. And like those those tend to um maybe roll forward in your and and in your own subconscious and then you start questioning yourself. So mm. I would say that there's it's it's a mixed bag. Um these books aren't necessarily written for instructor pilots and that's you know Luke the right. the Air Force base that I'm at here in Phoenix, Arizona is um is there's a ton of instructor pilots here and that's not who that really the book is written for. I mean they you could pick it up and read it and maybe get something out of it um for sure, but it's really for the um I think the the demographic our ideal reader is probably high school to 3 years out of college or um a business owner that is starting out and just wants um some either inspirational stories or some very quick things that you can read um because you know when you're starting a business you are it, your gloves off it's you against the world every day for that first year mm-hmm. at a minimum you're just you are oh, yeah. learning so much and you don't have the time to sit down and read a huge book on how do i do things you need to you need to eventually slog through that information however these books were designed for literally anybody to sit down and read in 10 minutes. You can read a chapter. So you can go, hey, I need, I need a chapter on perseverance. And here's a fighter pilot that almost lost a kid in the hospital. And like, here's some of the things that he learned. And, or I need a chapter on a different perspective. Or how do I plan, execute, and debrief? You know, that, that chapter, plan, execute, debrief, was written by an astronaut, test pilot, fighter pilot. So, I mean... Oh, wow. The... But this, um, three, a top instructor, um, the F4, like you saw in first Top Gun, on F18s, look, you Top Gun, and he's also F16, and I believe he has over an hours in those fighter jets. Um, so a much different perspective, but you know, yeah, he's an airline pilot, gone through Top Gun school. And what does this guy have to say? If, um, and I can't tell you, the book isn't published, so you'll be able to find in the future. Yeah. So, um, so your your internet connection there kind of got a little staticky on us. Um, you were saying that this one this one contributing author, fighter pilot. Uh, fighter pilot, instructor, astronaut, and then we kind of got a little wonky. So maybe we can reiterate that again. I think think maybe one might, might be back a little bit better. Is that, is everything sounding? Pre- I think we're, I think we're coming back to normal. Okay. Um, yes. The, the, in volume three, we have a, a top gun instructor that's flown the F-18, the F-18, and the F-16. So, the the two the first jet he flew was the one that was in the first Top Gun video. The second jet he flew was in the Top Gun Maverick video, and then he's also flown the F sixteen, which is what I fly, and he has um, over a thousand hours in all three of those jets. And so it's just a a really unique perspective from somebody that has jumped through, um, you know, those different career fields as a fighter pilot, but then also realize um, from an outsider's perspective. When you transition to a different fighter jet, it's not like you just jump in and start her up and go fly. There's there's different ways to tactically employ those aircraft. Um, there's different ways that the community interacts 
and and kind of the expectations there. So you're learning a lot in the first three years, and you're learning, you're continuously learning in the in the next couple of years, even after that. So um, that's right. a pretty big hurdle to jump as a new guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, a thousand hours doesn't sound like a lot of time I, when you put it, you know, put it out there. Forty hours a week, ten weeks is four hundred hours. Twenty weeks is yes, that's what uh, uh, six months, right? On and a forty-hour work week, but you know, it, it it's not exactly inexpensive to mm-hmm. fly these machines, is it? And uh, no, it's not. So. Yeah, every minute has to provide value back to the military in some form or fashion. Is that right? Yeah, and I mean, I was a civilian flight instructor um, before the military for a number of years, and um, you know, building time in an airplane, you typically do it about one hour at a time. So, if you want to think of it in that way, if I take off mm-hmm. in an F sixteen, if if I'm doing, um, for lack of better term. It, we can call them different missions, but we, if we're doing a dogfighting mission where I'm in very high power settings, I'm using the afterburner, my flight will be maybe eight-tenths of an hour to at most uh, like 1.1 hours. So if you want to think of a guy that, you know, when you deploy, you tend to be airborne a little bit longer. So you can, you know, there's the sorties or your flights will be anywhere from three to probably eight to 10 hours. So you can build a little bit more time quickly there. But most of the sorties that we fly are around an hour, um, maybe two hours. So if you want to think of it in that way, you know, we'll typically fly once a day. You know, you, if you fly two or three times a week, you'll maybe mm-hmm. get four hours a week if you're flying pretty consistently. Um, right. So if you think of it in that way, I mean, if there's 52 weeks a year um, and you only fly a once a week, you know, that's, that's a long time to get a thousand hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of pencil sharpening and mind, you know, you're building your mind and you're, you're focusing in that time in between, I would imagine. Yep. You know, yeah. There's, uh, there's study, there's simulators, there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot out of the 50 stories that you've gathered through volumes one, two, and then forthcoming volume three which is launching November, or maybe more appropriate term, taking off November 11th this year on Veterans Day. Has there been one story that you're just like, man, I love this story? There, that, that's a tough one. And that is kind of putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I ask the hard I questions say, here sometimes. Sorry. Yeah, well, I would say as a kid, I watched every fighter jet movie I could. I read as many fighter pilot books as I could handle. Um, and what really drew me in as a kid were the stories, fighter pilot stories that were written for anybody to read. And I would say yeah. each volume has had at least one story where a fighter pilot tells a no kidding fighter pilot story of a combat mission. And then at the end kind of sums it all up and gives you the chills, right? It, it it's, yeah. It's more of a, and whether that's a feel good or, uh, wow, I need to level up as a business owner or as an entrepreneur or an athlete or and whatever you're doing. And I would say just kind of a, another teaser alert for volume three, there is a fighter pilot in there who wrote a story about a combat mission that is very nowadays. It happened very recently. And it's, um, you know, it's, 
it's over in the European theater. And um, even as I was reading it, I was, you know, getting the chills. And I was like, this is a really cool story. And it turns out that guy, as when he retires, he plans on writing a bunch of aviation novels. So um oh cool. I I I liked his writing prose and like how he wrote his story. Um, and then I also really enjoyed just an actual fighter pilot story about a real life mission that he was on and and his perspectives and his his take on that and what he learned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you answered that very well. That was a tremendous answer without giving the answer, <laughs> which was fantastic. No, it was very good. Very good. So across volumes one, two, and now three. Um, so if you're, if you're a fan and you've gotten volume one uh, and, and maybe you've gotten volume two, uh, what's been the genesis? What's, what has leveled up across the three volumes for readers. Cause you know, look, it's all the proceeds are going to great cause. So if you're just coming into the single seat wisdom book series, you should get all three. So what's happened across the three volumes? Have you been able to, to see something emerge thematically? Yeah, I think, um, well, from a personal, uh, life stance is that you know, we, these, we're publishing the third book right here and it's been about two and a half years to get to this point. And as you can imagine, running a real estate business, being a full-time fighter pilot, um, being a dad of four, um, you know, just doing homework with the kids and, and just trying mm -hmm. to maintain all the other different aspects of life. It's been heavy on the family. So the, the theme, at least in my life, is that I'm going to take a knee. Um, I actually was kind of editing some of the competent wingman um, things that we had talked about earlier, the little, you know, two minute snippets that you can get uh, for free on our single seat uh, mindset.com website. But I was kind of looking through that. And one of them I wrote was take a knee. And I think that's where I'm at right now in life is it's just stepping back. And, you know, we're a Christian family. So I kind of like look up and I go, you know, God, where, where are you pushing me next? And I have not gotten a very clear uh, path forward for for myself. I have a lot of good ideas, um, you know, whether that's starting a, a podcast of my own or writing another book series where I just write it, or you know, public speaking, or or what have you, or just you know, buying a civilian airplane and taking kids at all the local schools up on their, you know, their first flight to give them a taste of aviation. There's a you field know, trip to get excited for. Yeah. So I just don't know, Jeff. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the three is if you're, you know, the first year of a business has always been the most turmoil for me. And by year three is where things start to, the machine is running. And that's where I'm at right now is just things are running. Things are set up. The websites are built. The books are getting published. We have a system set up. But yep. now that we're there, um, I'm... I'm more of a founder mindset. I like to get things going. I'm less excited about being a CEO, running the numbers and getting mm. and just doing the daily stuff because yep. I get bored. So that's where yeah. I just got to sit back and go, you know, and you've probably hit this many times yourself. Where, where do I go? And it's, there's, I have a ton <laughs> of different ideas that are, that are great, but I want to do one that is, is the best. What do they say? Yeah. Good, yeah, no, I, good, better, best. So I have all these good ideas. I have some better ideas, but I don't know what the best one is yet. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm right there with you of, of similar mindset right now. You know, I launched my Space for Leadership book and I'm really, you're really myself personally in that take a knee moment of what is the best direction off of that success of that book? Where do I go with it? I have an idea, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking above as well, what is the best step forward? You know, um, for, for, because impact is what I want to create. And, uh, I don't know if this is too, too out there for you and too out there for our listeners, but I put it on my, uh, social media channels the other day. I sat amidst a billion year old rock field formation to think about impact because what, what better place to get inspired for impact than something that's been around for a billion years, right? If we're going to create impact, we want it. We want it to last. So this is in Lenhartsville, Pennsylvania, at my okay. campground where I have my camp trailer parked at uh, year round. Uh, there's a, this boulder field, rock field, in the midst of the campground, and um, it's from uh, an ice age where glaciers pushed the earth around and you know pushed these big quartzite rocks up. Um, to and, and you, what was really cool about it is. Uh, yeah, there's Chris bringing you up on screen. What's really cool about it is I walked out to this one big rock kind of pushed up higher than all the rest in the middle. And on the side of that rock was a, a piece of piece of rock that must have fell off. Well, the colors in that rock darn near matched, not perfectly, but were very close to the cover art, the back, you know, just the, the colors of my book. Just huh. in the way it went from darker to lighter, from bottom to top. I'm like, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> you know, yeah, there it is. Nice. There it is. And so it just, you know, I just sat in that moment, just just kind of taking that time, that take a knee, which I think so many, so many people, you don't have to be a business owner. You can be, you can yeah. be a parent. You can be somebody working for someone. We just go, 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 because that's what life demands of us. But that is such a, an important point. I'm so glad. Thank you that you brought it up for, for yeah. people to take that knee. And it's, you know, it's not, I'll ask you this. It's not, it's not, uh, taking a knee is not taking a loss, right? Dig deeper into that for people. Um, let's expand on it a little yeah, more. Yeah. So it's something that, you know, about, uh, five or six years ago, I was golfing with one of my buddies and I hit the 13th or 14th hole and I looked at him. I was like, I'm sick of this crap. I'm sick of being in a hamster wheel. Um, I'm a high achiever. I've achieved a lot of things that people on the outside look at and go, oh, that dude's successful. And there were successful moments in that. But I'm like, I don't feel successful. I just feel like I'm achieving something and I'm just getting on to the next thing and I'm achieving another thing. And then maybe all those achievements, if I sit down and take the time, equals success. Um, but I think the larger thing that I learned during that time was that if you're stuck in what I eventually termed like the achievement hamster wheel, where you're just achieving and you're just going, 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 you can kind of lose yourself and you lose the path you're on because you're not really taking the time to go, is this good? Is this better? Or is this the best thing for me to be doing? And as you, as you grow your business or you get through college or, you, or you're an employee or you're working or you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever you're doing, I think that's a very good thing to ask yourself is as you take your knee, that's not a passive thing to do. 
I mean, take your knee. It's got to be a very, um, it's got to be a very active thing that you do. Like I need to, especially if you're an achievement minded person, you're not going to want to stop. So you have to essentially force yourself to stop. And what I started doing, so, you know, cause many people will be like, well, what do I do about that? The action piece to that is, is one deciding to do that and just go, Hey, for the, whether that's you take a sabbatical or you just say, Hey, for the next three months, I'm not going to start any new projects. I'm just going to live. And, but there are some key things that I, that I did that many people can throw into their day that are very easy to execute. And, and one of them for me specifically was going to bed earlier, right? So instead of when the kids go down for bed, if you have kids, if you don't, if you, if you have a tendency to stay up and watch, uh, shows and, you know, eat a bag of chips and drink a six pack of beer, just, just stop doing that and just go to bed before you sit down on the couch. You'll wake up refreshed. And as you wake up in the morning, you need to start your day. I, I, I tried to start with 15 minutes and that was too much for me because I, I can't sit still. Um, mm-hmm. So that needs to be a practice thing. So as you're taking the knee, like I said, it's a very active process to pause and slow down. And for me, um, I call it the five minutes of freedom or you know, you, it, whatever you do, just you need to take five minutes in the morning and and figure out what your intention is for that day. Whether that's you start, you know, always start with gratitude, be grateful for something that you have, but then whether you pray or meditate or just literally sit in silence and try to be still, that's very important to start your day that way. And that will help tweak your plan so that during the day while you're executing, you're not lost and you're not just going. You're not just achievement-minded running through your day. And then at the end of the day, we talked about plan, execute, debrief. You need to debrief yourself and go, well, how did I do? You know, if there was one thing at the beginning of the day when I set my intention for five minutes, that if I do this one thing, this day is successful, whatever that happens to be. And that could be um, just a full day blocked off to go camping or hiking or spending time with the family. Um, I used to define that as I'm not doing anything today, but it was actually the wrong word. I just defined it the wrong way is no, I'm, I'm actively going to be spending time of my kids or hiking and just essentially putting, um, you know, my emotional support into these people or, or, or what have you. So I think that's right. a really important concept for that was for me. If I could tell myself that 10 years ago when I started my first business and just to go, Hey, you're going to be sprinting and you need to have those times where you, you jump these hurdles, but then you need to plan to take a knee because you're not going to want to do that. It's so funny we would touch on this because part of my part of my time at my campsite this weekend was looking ahead. You know, we have our youngest son um, chasing the the football dream, and you know he'll play college ball somewhere. We want to, you know, he wants to play Division One, and we're going to support him and work to every you know every minute of the next three years around football is going to be spent towards that goal. Part of that as parents is we want to be able to see him play. And we've always wanted to do the the RV living thing, if not full-time, at least let's plan for it in the fall. And, you know, I, I've been thinking like, well, what kind of a camper are we going to get? And what could it be? And and I don't want to have any downtime or any issues. And I say to myself, I look at my wife Saturday afternoon after having four hours of just doing, quote unquote, doing nothing time not doing anything time, but really taking a knee reflecting time. 
looked at my wife. I'm like, uh, we already have a camper behind us. What am I even talking about? Yeah. You know, because we're, <laughs> by, by that point, we're not going to be investing in the seasonal site anymore because we just won't get up there. Our weekends throughout the entire fall will be elsewhere. And the summers, it's like summers here in Pennsylvania are brutally humid. It's just, it's not enjoyable. And, uh, I said, there's our answer. I said, and it's so funny because all along the way, since this camper has been parked at our campground, for, for reasons I couldn't explain at the time, I was tinkering with it, right? Yeah. Campers are like even good quality campers you buy are notoriously bad build quality. So as time's gone on, I've been fixing hinges that didn't necessarily yeah. need fixing, but like just doing things that make it more roadworthy, more durable. Yeah. I've been doing this this entire time. And Saturday afternoon, the plan's like, well, well, crap. That's it. We're going to pull this one because this one is fantastic. It's, it's amazingly set up for me to do business on the road. The, the bunkhouse can easily be converted to an office easily. Um, it's got enough space. It's got the entertainment. We've got Wi-Fi built in. Like, I, you know, I could do the podcast from up there. I choose to do them here, but I could do it up there. And it's like, you know, the answer's been here all along. I just have been going, going, going and not paying attention. Yeah. I think that's the, the lesson that you get when you do slow down. It's kind of a, a platitude is um, slow down to speed up. So as you mm -hmm. slow down, you'll go, Oh, I was, I had my machete out and I was just chopping a new path, but I was, I was walking on a path that already existed. I had already maybe created that myself. And now I've chosen to jump off into the forest and take a more difficult route. So when you slow down and you, you set your intentionality, you get better sleep, you take care of your health, you're eating better, you're exercising, all of those things that everybody knows they should be doing. But it takes time. It takes time to remind yourself that. And you'll get stuck up in it again, especially if you're, if you're trying to get after life. You're going to get stuck in that hamster wheel again. You just need to make that mental decision to jump off. And then as you jump off and you take that time and you set your intention and you recharge, I think the other piece to that that I learned was um, I learned to fire myself from jobs that I had no business doing. So whether that's... Um, you know, I took accounting in college, but I'm not an accountant. Um, I grew up, uh, my old man owned a bunch of real estate. So we grew up renovating and leasing to tenants and collecting money. So I kind of grew up in that space. Um, but as I grew my business, I was working, what do they say? Don't work in it, work on it. And I was working right. in it. Specifically, the third year, um, I was, uh, my wife and I bought an eight unit little multifamily property and I was renovating one of the interiors. And it was during Christmas time. And I specifically remember stopping and just feeling a little frustrated that I was doing it again. And I took, and I, so I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm firing myself from being, um, the contractor and I'm going to hire, I'm going to hire out the renovations. I'm not doing this anymore. Yep. And it's going to cost more money, but it will save me time. It'll save me a lot of energy and I can build the business bigger. And so I took the sledgehammer as far back as I could. And with all my might, I chucked it through the kitchen wall. It went through the bathroom and it were hanging out the wall in one of the bedrooms. And I was like, I'm going to also need a, a contractor to fix the drywall that I just broke. But 
I locked the door and I went home and spent Christmas yep. with the family. And that was a whole different change. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know how to define it. But I was stuck in that hamster wheel. And I, and I just... That stopped. I just stopped for that moment. I was like, what am I doing? Asking, why am I doing this? And then it helped me make that change. And then I started firing myself from all of the jobs I had no business doing. I am not a property manager. I'm not leasing out to tenants. I'm not doing renovations. I'm, I can, I can do all of those things, but that's not the best for the business in my life. So that was kind of the other piece as you slow down and you take a knee and you, you find out your intention and you're getting healthier specifically in your mind. Um, you'll go, wow, I don't, I have no business doing any of that kind of stuff. There's people a lot better at this than I am. Well, and it's, you know, and as we, as we look to wrap up our time, it's really the lesson is accepting, accepting your brilliance, accepting your gift, and then using all your time possible to get that gift out there to this world, to help others, to serve others, to create great book series that give these great lessons from great people. Um, it's being in that lane of genius, whatever your genius is. And you know what? Maybe, you know, I've, I've had people say, you know, Jeff, it sounds kind of arrogant when you say you don't want to do the $10, the $50, the $100 hour work. You say that as though those folks are beneath you. Like, well, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said those words. And Dom, you didn't say those words. You, we, we work on our businesses and we work within our brilliance and we take the need to discover what our greater gifts are. So that we can actually help more people and we can bring more people in. And I don't know about you, but I know most everybody that I've come across that I've extricated myself from the work they now do with me for us is they're always compensated very well, if not better than anywhere else they can go, which is why they stick around for a long time. I look to level them up, help them find their gift, even if it means leaving me. And I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that leadership, I feel is where my lane of genius is, where my brilliance is in this world. And, and that's where it comes from, you know? So yeah, we can do the renovating. We can do the bookkeeping, but what if we can give that time and the, the financial reward of that to someone else that just loves, loves doing that and can honestly probably do it better than us. I think that's a great thing to do. Yeah. I do too. And I think the. Yep. You know, as you as you fire yourself from those jobs, there's going to be that empty space that that you usually filled with that, you know, achievement mindset that uh, that hamster wheel that you were in. And so, resist the urge as you fire yourself from those jobs to fill that space again immediately, because that I think is right. a, is an inflection point as a business owner to sit back and to that you need to think about well where. Where am I steering this business? Where am I steering my life? What am I, what am I shifting and going to do differently? And the way that you get there is that, uh, the debrief process that, um, you know, fighter pilots have honed into a almost an art. Um, and, you know, I think it was, it was either in the first or second volume, but there's a, um, a top gun instructor pilot that actually taught at the weapons school and he wrote a chapter on the art of a deep, the art of the fighter pilot debrief. So there's actually a framework in there that is just a little chart that you start at the top and you go, did I execute my game plan? And then if yes, you go down another side of the chart. If no, you go down the other side. And 
it's it's really just an easy step through debrief. And if you if you do it enough, you'll find yourself doing it subconsciously. Um, but the I think as I was starting out, there there's inevitably going to be some luck in being a business owner. And so I think that's even an important question to ask yourself. Like let's say you bought a property and you sold it or you or you bought a business and you sold it for more or what or whatever you did, it worked out and you're like high-fiving. Well, you need to sit down and ask yourself, was that luck? Or did I actually have a good game plan for that? But you wouldn't know that unless you debriefed. And right. if you're one like me that um maybe arrogantly or I, I gave a little bit too much stock to my own brain, I wasn't writing things down. Um, as I started to write things down and keep a like I don't like the word journal, so I call it scribing or something different, but it's a log essentially of what I'm doing as a business owner. You'll start to see your pain points and you'll start to see what you're good at. And, and as you review that, you'll also six months later, you'll, you'll flip back and you'll laugh at yourself um, because you'll, you'll realize what you thought were problems then are not even remotely a factor mm-hmm. now. And that's part of growing. So I think that the bigger piece there is as you sit down and debrief, write it down, review your notes, and then you know, you'll know you know that you're getting somewhere when you can laugh at yourself. Just at, oh man, I was an idiot when I did that. Like I, I just, I glanced at the podcast episode that I did first uh, with you on the first time and I just said, yeah. oh man, I was so out of place. It was clunky to me. And, and that's part of learning. So I wouldn't have yeah. done that though if I hadn't debriefed. Yeah. Yep. And you know, you said something for the for the tough guys out there. So if journaling is too too feminine for you, for your mindset, for your for your you know inner self, have your daily debrief. And if and if a Top Gun fighter pilot can do it, you can too. Uh, there's a whole chapter on it, in one of the books. And so Volume Three promises to be bigger and better than Volumes One and Two, a continuation <laughs> of greatness. Um, that's launching November 11th, and it looks like you want you want people to go to your website to get it. Is that right? It, it's a walk I mean, yeah, through can, the steps. Yeah, you can. I think that we'll call the runway. Uh, if you want to take off an afterburner, you're going to go to singleseatmindset.com. You'll find everything there. At the very top of the page, there will be a link to go to the Single Seat Wisdom website. But singleseatmindset.com, that's where we're going to put everything. That'll be the runway. Um, and right at the top there at the red banner of that web page, there's a um a little link there. And it'll take you right to the web page where you can kind of review the different um books to figure out which one's good for you. Maybe you buy all three. Uh and then yeah, don't forget that we we donate all the proceeds. I had set a hundred thousand dollar goal for the first book and we're only up to I think we'll hit forty thousand this year. Um uh, given to the Anna Schindler Foundation. So yeah, yeah, you can check it out there. But singleseatmindset.com is your is your runway. Yeah. Hey, I mean, raising forty thousand dollars is is no small feat. Hundred grand's a fantastic goal. Forty thousand dollars, no small feat at all. I mean, kudos to you. That's fantastic. And I'm sure they're they're able to do wonderful things with that money for uh for the families with kids that are suffering like they are. Fantastic. So put it on your calendar, November 11th, Volume 3, Single Seat Wisdom uh, takes off. In the meantime, get Volume 1 and 2, and you can get that right at singleseatwisdom.com. Dom, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be a part of the show. And um, really appreciate you and all that you're doing out there. Thank you. 
Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, uh, that's it for this week's episode of The Big Ticket Life. So for now, I want you to go out there, do life and business on your terms. We'll see you all next week. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live your. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket method shifts you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.